brother Govindas. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time to do this and, and really everything that you did here at Yogaville, uh, I guess maybe it was a few months or a few weeks ago or a month ago. Now uh, I enjoyed the sessions with you immensely. Uh, and I took some notes during the sessions, which uh, helps me with the questions I want to ask you. And, you know, one of the things that you said, which I never really heard someone say before, you said simply, my mind is crazy. <laughs> I don't know about you, you know, uh, but my mind is crazy. And that actually just felt so good to hear someone say that, honestly, to me. It's like, ah, uh, yeah, that's true. My mind is crazy. <laughs> Your mind's crazy too? You got one of them? Yeah, I mean, whose mind isn't crazy? That's the, isn't that the human condition? It's what gets us in all of our trouble. Yeah. But the relationship with the mind, right, is uh, essential. I mean, I'm very interested in what, is it, what does it mean to mm, have a healthy mind, right? Health, healthy relationship with my mind, with my thoughts. Mm. I love it, brother. That's a great conversation. And uh, look, I think it's one of these... Um, your mind is, is either your best friend or your worst enemy. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful instrument if it's taken care of and used properly. And yet on the other side of the coin, it can, if unattended to and just let, um, go wherever it wants to go, it can lead us into some really dark places. And what is the prescription that Sri Krishna gives to us in Bhagavad Gita yoga, right? This is how we, cultivate focus, equanimity, balance. And, um, you know, something that I just has been coming through the last few years is turning our mind into an altar to God, which for me, what that means is, and this is a very, I think, bhakti based way of looking at using the mind as an instrument is at any moment being able to turn the mind into, um, as I said, as an altar pointing towards the divine, which means you can um, conjure up the image of your guru or your ishtadevata at any moment. And we know as is our mind, so we become, right? I mean, even Buddha taught this, as is our mind, so becomes our world. So if we can turn our minds into an altar to God, my belief is that this is the highest way that we can use our minds. Ramakrishna, he said, maybe you've heard of this, this great quote. He says, the mind is a terrible master, but a wonderful servant. Swami Shivananda says, the mind, when the mind is focused in the right direction, all things become possible in your life. For me, I turn my mind into an altar 
for God, which means I'm always thinking about the stories of Hanuman. I'm visualizing images of Hanuman and Krishna and my guru. I'm using the mind as a, as a tool to practice these great qualities like humility, humility. When the mind is focused in the right direction, all things are possible. And, and to me, I hear that my mind, when my mind is turned towards God, towards the self, towards love, towards truth, that's what I take from that teaching from Swami Shivananda. Any thoughts? Yeah. Well, it feels important to consider, you know, what is the right direction? Okay, I want to turn my mind in the right direction. You know, what what is that? You know, the, the truth, my guru, humility. How do I know that that is the right direction? What inside myself is letting me know that that is the right direction? What do you think about that? I think it there exists this knowing this knowing um and the the word that I could use that gets me as close to it as possible is appropriate what is the appropriate response to this situation that I'm in of being alive um yeah. What is the appropriate response? And, the, and so then, then truth comes up. Yes. To be interested in what is true. Mm. That's appropriate to be grateful for this experience. That's definitely appropriate, feels appropriate. So there's like something in, in, in myself that's like rebounding, I think, and saying, yes, that's right. And and then it's like, what's in between me and using my mind in the right kind of way? You know, okay, so I identify a few things that I want to keep coming back to again. I want to spend my time in, in love, in gratitude, in truth with my guru. Why do I leave that place? And that other place that I go to, which is not those things. Maybe it's caught in my personality, my identity, ego. What is my relationship with that? Yeah. And why is it so strong? Yeah. Well, left unattended to my mind 
becomes very scattered, selfish, me, 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 me. Everything is revolved around me. As we start to pay attention to this and recognize that this is our unconscious tendencies, we can then begin to guide and plant seeds through our, through intentionally focusing on love, service, devotion, guru, truth. And I think that this is what the whole yogic tradition is about, is working with our minds. Because the heart, spirit, soul, is love. It's, it's, it's who we are. The, I'm not talking our emotional heart, but our spiritual self that lives and resides in the heart. It's the mind, and there's. I think that's what we keep, need to keep coming back to is Ramakrishna's teaching. If I'm just living and leading from my mind, it's a terrible master. It's going to lead me into really, um, for me, as I've seen too many times, awful situations because it's always about it's self-serving. It's selfish. So if we can, like Hanuman, turn our minds in the direction of service and turn our minds in the direction of our hearts and these great spiritual qualities, the mind can then become a great instrument through which we can begin to live our lives in a good way, in service, in humility, in love, in courage, in strength, in alignment with a higher source and a, a way that we truly want to live in our lives. Yeah. But I'm wondering too, like how subtle it is because my, my relationship with that aspect of myself that is all is selfish, me, 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 and I'm scared and I'm afraid. I wonder if making that part of me wrong or bad is another trap to fall into and that cultivating this relationship with that part of myself is an essential part of kind of you know tending the garden of the mind and working towards you know making it a good servant for my higher self you mean your relationship with these thoughts Instead of pushing them away, what would you do with them? These selfish thoughts, lustful thoughts, desirous thoughts. Right. Like if, if they're coming up and then I'm feeling shame about them. Yeah. Then I'm kind of like, I'm avoiding it. Yeah. Suppressing. And that, from my experience, is um, not really what the path is about either. That's, no. a, that's another danger. Yeah, I agree too. I think that's, you have to love all parts of ourselves, including those crazy parts of our own mind. I do agree with that. But yet I also feel like we cannot leave those 
um, places and parts of ourselves to guide our lives. That's why we practice restraint in yoga. That's why we play, practice discipline in yoga. That's why we practice dharana in yoga, focus and concentration, so that we may be able to choose our perceptions on a more refined and subtle way. Mm-hmm. Um, and fill the content of our minds with the teachings of Bhagavad Gita, the stories of Ram and Krishna and Divine Mother. And so our mind, that's what I mean by turning our minds into an altar to God. So, yes, I think we need to embrace and love every part of ourselves because the shame, I think, will only dig us deeper and deeper into a dark hole. But I don't think we let the mind take us wherever it wants to go. I don't think that's what love is. And I don't think, I think that our, I I know I just said these two words, restraint and discipline are two primary aspects of, of really what spiritual life is all about. And it's, it's, I think, and what comes with that restraint and that discipline is the ability to choose a new direction and to choose a direction in which we want our minds to flow. And as Swami Shivananda said, when the mind is pointed in the right direction, all things become possible. So that's what I get from this. Yeah, I think this is so great because it's like really getting into that um the, the the practice the way it's it it, it feels like it's an art form of yeah. dealing with something like discipline and restraint with, yes with myself um when it when when love is brought to it that discipline and that restraint it feels like it to me what i'm getting is it feels like it becomes an art form and it's not just these hard edges and hard walls we're putting up. Mm. You know, a word that's uh, that's become really important to me and is, and is coming up uh, during this conversation is priority. Ooh. What I feel is that it's like essential for the mind. What the mind needs is to know clearly what are my priorities, and that's discipline. Is is getting clear on that? Okay, my. My priority is, you know, to rest the mind, to spend time in love, all, all, all of these things. These are, these are my priority. And when it's clear on that, now it's much easier to just, okay, I noticed that selfish, fearful tendency come up. That's not one of my priorities. So because I'm clear on that, I can let it go and redirect the mind back to my priorities, whatever they are. Mm. Love that. So it's like, have you noticed with yourself, like over time, over the years that your priorities have changed and there has been uh, like a clarity that's 
emerged regarding what are my priorities? Where do I want to spend my time? Absolutely. I truly believe, you know, I think it happens very quickly in a sense when people just begin yoga practice or they start meditating or they start chanting that the things that were previously working, because naturally we become a little bit more sensitive to everything. So the things that were, were maybe working in the past suddenly feel like they're not working anymore. I know for myself, even friendships and relationships that were previously working, I, I had to create some space from because I had to tend to this inner garden. It was the soil was was so um, just ripe and fresh and ready for the sprouting of, of new seeds. So we had, I, I feel like we have to protect that. But as we keep going and walking forward on the path for myself, you know, I still feel extremely sensitive yet. My practice is Neem Kroli Baba. One of his famous sayings is love everyone. Maybe for Ram, they'll say it, love everyone, love everything. So, you know, as we anchor deeper and deeper into this, what could we call it? This, this new way of living, this new um, paradigm, this new way of perceiving the world. When we start to wake up and feel God's presence in everyone and everything. um, Again, for me, it's, it's, it's become more about service. How can I serve instead of what's, in it for me, for me, for me, for me. And, and believe me, I'm so far from perfect at, at this, but this karma yoga, the yoga of action, the highest form of action, as Krishna tells us, is selfless service based action. And this kind of action does not accrue new karma with it. So for me, that's what I'm prioritizing. Not so much what's in it for me all the time. Me, what, what can I get? How much money can I make? How, how good do I look? But more so, how can I do my part to, to make this world a better place? How can I be an uplifting presence on this planet? during this time. So those for me are the things that have taken priority through the years. How have you gained clarity around that, around service, around karma yoga? What, what about your life has taught you that that is the appropriate place to focus on? You know, I follow this path of Hanuman Bhakti. And Hanuman is the servant of Lord Ram. And there are many, even in the Hanuman Chalisa, there's many lines, promises that Tulsidas gives to us that 
when you remember Hanuman in thought, word, and deed, that all affliction dissolves. And I can just say that, that when I am acting from that place of me, 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 it feels like I'm putting myself in a deeper and bigger jail cell. And that jail cell is my own ego. I'm stroking my, my own ego. When I live from my heart and I live from service and, and kindness and less of me and more of thee and less drama and more drama that it feels like the gates of the, the jail cell opens and I can come out and, and live in the oneness and beauty of life and celebrate in the beauty of life and recognize the gift and the miracle that life is when I'm in my mind and I'm in my ego, it's, it's, it, the veil is too thick. I can't come out. I can't recognize the spaciousness that exists in each moment. I can't breathe. So we have to continually as Ramdas would say, extricate our awareness out of our thinking mind. Because when we're in our thinking mind, we're trying to think our way through life. We're the, the, the thinking mind, the ego in its form of the thinking mind, when it's when we're living from that place, it's it's very manipulative. And isn't concerned about others. It's just me, me, me and fulfilling my own desires. So I'm always trying to take this leap of faith from here to here. We call it the the, the biggest 18 inch jump you'll ever have to make in your whole life. From here to here. The leap of faith. Instead of living from here, living from here. Because from here, I can't love everyone. When I'm in my ego, what do I do? I judge everyone. Or I hate everyone. Or I compete with everyone. Or I'm afraid that someone's better than me. Or I'm happy because they're worse than me. I'm always trying to engage my own power over things and people. From here when we can begin to rest in our heart's wisdom and awareness and soul, I can love everyone. I can live in service. I can practice and be kind. But it's so so my, scary. my spiritual path is just constantly coming from here back down to here. It, occur, it occurs to me that it might be pretty scary, though. I mean, speaking for myself, it, it, it is. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I deeply agree with everything that you're saying. And at the same time, this practice is 
not so easy, I think. And specifically why, I think, is because forming any new habit or new practice is is not an easy thing because there seems to be something within the human experience that attaches to what's comfortable. And what's comfortable is being more in that state for many of us that you're referring to of not love and giving, but fear and competition. And um, I need to make sure that I have enough for me and my family scarcity mentality, you know, all of that. I'm just operating from that place that that place is, is my survival. And to, to let that go is no small thing to give it up. So because we've been conditioned our whole life to believe that that's who we really are and that's what's real and that's what's true. But the next level of that, as we drop down deeper into our heart, now we started to get more deeper into this bhakti based philosophy and way of living is that in the heart we live from here, we can have real faith and trust. And live fully lack that, that God's always taking care of me. The spirit puts me in the perfect place, perfect time, perfect moment, always and in all ways. And yes, to live like that, I think, takes a tremendous amount of courage and strength. It's so different. It's so different. Yeah. The other way. And I think it really calls for for leadership. Because what's really scary and what's really holding me back is that I won't be included with the community, with the Sangha, if I don't take myself really seriously, really play into this persona. I'll I'll give you an example that happened to me uh, yesterday. Um, I have a four-year-old daughter and uh, I was taking her to swimming lessons. And after the lessons were were over, there's a a bathroom to get changed in. And I took her to the the bathroom and there was a mom standing outside the men's room. And she said, oh, I don't think you want to go in there. I said, why? I said, my son's in there getting changed. And I said, oh, that's okay. You know, we'll, we'll go into one of the stalls. And she said, well, she doesn't want to see that meaning my daughter, my four-year-old daughter, she doesn't want to see that, meaning her naked son, Mm. right? And something in that moment, like my heart broke and I've been really thinking about this, honestly, because like, what are you talking about? (laughs) This is a four-year-old. They don't have this relationship with with the body that that we do as, as adults. Like she would never like think, I don't want to see that or it's not okay. And I just saw how strong the indoctrination is from a very early age into, because what does that mean? You know, with that, with, with the body, it's taking my body so seriously, this persona so seriously that I'm afraid if anyone sees who I really am, the natural me. Um, and so much so that it's not even normally conscious that we're playing this game. It's really on, this is just what we do. This is the, this is the collective, you know? 
Um, and so to move to a different space of existence where I'm not operating in that place anymore, um, I think the real obstacle might be is the fear of not being included in the community anymore. And that's why I say that it might really take leadership as much as anything else and courage. I agree. And I think there's two words. It's, it's just let go. We just have to let go. We have to let go. We have to take that leap and, and trust more and more deeply that, that God, source, Guru, spirit, Ram, Krishna, divine mother, Allah, Jesus, Adonai, many names. But that, that, that source and force of love is omnipresent. It's always here. And if we can have that faith and have that trust, even though the world is not operating from that place, I think, you know, that's what makes this path of yoga so special and so sacred is that it gives us another way where we don't have to live with so much suffering. We're not buying into the stories of our own anxiety and scarcity mentality. And so yoga, here's another way, here's another path that you can live and walk through. And for me, it just, it intuitively feels right. It feels like the, the path to walk in, in my life. The other way, I, and it may be because I've just, I've experienced the suffering that comes with it so much. Yeah. The suffering of not trusting. How painful that is. The suffering that comes when we're away from God. When we're separated from God, this is what bhakti is all about. This is the gopis of, in, in Vrindavan. That separation from Krishna was the fuel for their longing, for their, for their devotion to be back with their beloved one. And these gopis, they're considered the masters of bhakti yoga. Because their longing was so strong to be with Sri Krishna. I think it's interesting to explore the idea of, of purpose or dharma. Um, because what I found when I ask people about, you know, what is your life's purpose? I think ultimately we all get to the same answer. And that is service. So exploring this question leads, leads me to gain clarity around this, this, this topic. And it's so amazing, right? It's like, oh, it's like, it's like coming home. It's like, duh, like what else is there that makes sense for me to do than try to do some good in the world? And what's essential is that each of us gets to choose what that good is, what that mm-hmm. looks like. It doesn't work if I try to tell you what kind of good you're supposed to do in the world. No, we each get to decide what's my calling. But the similarity is, is they all contain that desire 
of service to do something good. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, you know, the, what, what's the aim of life? Why are we here? These are these perennial questions that humans have always asked. What is this human incarnation all about? Is it really the one with the most toys wins? <laughs> the nicest car, the bigger home? No, you can't take your toys to the graveyard. You can't take your, your money to the graveyard. So it can't be that. So there has to be a deeper purpose for life. And I think so the, win, the winning, the winning is when the heart feels good. That's, that's the real winning, right? Yes. And you said it, it's, it's, it's to do good in the world and everybody will find that calling in their own way. You know, for you, Maybe it's the, it's teaching yoga or teaching teacher trainings or uh, sharing these podcasts. This is one way you can bring you, the good out into the world in service. And what do you have to say about, you know, someone who says, well, what, what, what can I do? You know, I'm just, I'm just one person that the, there's too many problems, too many issues in the world. It's, it's too big for me. Why should I even bother with any of it? The world is always the world. And the always world has always been the world. And the world is, is duality of light and dark. It's the dance of, of light and shadow. But we have to still keep trying. Do what we can do to make make the world a better place. I really believe that. Some people's, you know, calling is through social action. Some people's calling is through being a school teacher and working with kids. You know, but it's that that giving of your heart to something that you believe to be true. For me, that's what makes all the difference. And you start to feel purpose in your life. You said this word purpose. And I really believe, and I've seen myself, when I don't feel purpose in my life, like I'm working towards something to bring good, I get depressed. So I've singularly examined and seen that when I don't have purpose I go into depression. So I know for me, the importance of staying focused on things that I feel really passionate about and keep creating in the world. So for me, this, this word purpose, as you said, I think it's, it's such a key and important you know, concept that we, we all need to be focused on. There's no question. It's the same for me. You know, when I, I feel depressed, when I, when I don't have that. Yeah. And I think it's the case for a great many humans <laughs> right now. Um, that, that is the, the depression is, is feeling useless or feeling like my life, you know, doesn't matter. Um, 
That's really hard. I think that from that, that the, my belief, and now I have no idea, I, I'm not a scientist, but I believe and I, or I should say I've experienced myself that when I don't have that purpose, my, the strength of my immune system comes down. And that I'm more apt to experience inflammation in my body or other kinds of symptoms and illness. So I think this, this, the sense of purpose is we cannot emphasize it enough. The importance of it. I wonder too, can my focus be on simply making this vessel, this being, um, as optimal as it can possibly be like just work essentially just like working on myself. I wonder if I can come at it the other direction too, right. With a belief that if I do that, if I focus on constantly being aware and just working on the inner world, that the external effect is going to take care of itself. That by doing that, that yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, this is one of my favorite quotes from Ram Dass. And I know we share a love for Ram Dass together. He said, the greatest thing that you can offer to the world, the greatest service you can offer to the world is to work on yourself. So to me, that, yeah. that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and along the same lines, I, I think he also says, you know, um, the best thing you can do for me is work on on you. And the best thing I can do for you is work on me. Yes. And that feels so true to me. And what I love about that is that it's so simple. Yeah. That's so simple. If I don't know externally what my calling is um, to do, what I can start doing right now is working on myself, right? There's no situation where I can't start that work immediately. And what is that? If I ask you, what is working on yourself? What is maybe we, for people that are listening, if they don't know what this means, what is, what is working on yourself? That's beautiful. I love to ask that question. That, <laughs> that is great. I mean, I would take it back to what we were speaking about earlier in terms of priority, getting clear on what my priorities are. That is working on myself. But what if, what if somebody that, that is new to the spiritual path, oh, my priority is, is being, um, is, is making a million dollars. Yes. I'm that, just saying, yeah. I think our priorities are relative to where we are in our own spiritual development. Yeah. But, but I mean, my priority in the inner world. Yeah. You understand? Like, how do I want to feel? Yes. Where do I want my mind to be spending time? Yes. Right. And then spending time in those places, that's working on myself, right? Like every single time I see that I get caught in um, anger, competition, jealousy, all of that, every single time, any of those things, states of being that I don't want to be in, every single time, First, that I just notice that I'm there. Just even the, the noticing itself, I would say, is doing the work, right? 
And then more of the work beyond the noticing, okay, this is how I do it. I accept it. It's not wrong. And I want to come back to my mantra, essentially, whatever it is, those higher priorities that I have. And every time that I return and then I spend time in that space of, of love or gratitude or whatever it is, that's doing the work. And simply throughout the day, however many times I can do that, the more times, the better, the more work that's done. Yeah. I agree. And I think a lot of, of for me, I, I ask myself as that same question and it feels to me examining my mind and the questioning the my own stories of what I believe to be true and recognizing that some of these stories that I believe to be true are delusional, that they are just an expansion of my own ego's dream. So that letting go and centering back in equanimity again and again and again and again and again. A lot of self-inquiry, right? Working on ourselves. A lot of That's it. And contemplating our actions and our thoughts and our words. And a lot of restraint and discipline and, and ch- conscious choice making. Yeah. The word honesty feels really important in all of this. Can I, can I be really honest with myself about what's happening? Yeah. And I think that the the difficulty is when we see things about ourselves that, that we, when, when we see we're being manipulative or, um, shaming or projecting how we can turn back inward and, and, and begin to, you know, recognize that, love that, like you had said at the beginning, be kind to that instead of shame ourselves. We hold ourselves in loving compassion and recognize we're not perfect. So that's acceptance. And yet moving forward and choosing new behaviors, thoughts, words, actions. I love what you said. uh, The spiritual journey can be summed up with two words. Let go. Let go. Yeah. I mean, letting go. Of it. What are we letting go of when we say let go? Let go of, first of all, let go of who I think I am. Hmm. As this body. As these thoughts, as a, these emotions. That's not really who I am. Who I am is a spirit, spirit soul. Let go of how, for me, I think the big part of letting go is letting go of how I think things should be. Hmm. 
So letting go of control. Yes. And I think that gets us back into let go and let God, right? Maybe you've heard that before. Oh, yeah. Let God's will. Let go of our own agendas of every moment, trying to manipulate everything so it looks exactly the way I want it. And everybody behaves exactly the way I want them to. And if they don't, I have to go the other way or I can't be friends with them anymore because they challenge my agendas. Let go of my opinions. That's humility. That's that's right there. The humility is like, what what do I know? (laughs) I'm a speck of dust. Yeah. That's the clinging of the the, the tightness. My opinions. (laughs) Yeah. My opinions and my preferences. Yeah. I remember Ramdas saying this quote from I think the Tao Te Ching that for the one who has no preferences, life becomes very simple. Something I it's not the exact words that Ram Das used to say, but something like that. But I I understand that. And I have preferences. Wow. Yeah. Because I think this is right, and I think this is right, and I think this is right. Krishna speaks in the Bhagavad Gita as just the ability to take life as it comes, moment to moment to moment to moment. That's exciting to me. To live like that is really exciting. To try to control everything to me is, is, seems so boring. <laughs> I want to live like that. Painful. Painful. Closed. Yeah. Yeah, I think about the the fear of the the unknown being an obstacle in my ability to to do this, to 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 let go. It's like isn't Life that why we cling? Isn't that why we cling? Because we're afraid of, of the mystery that lies ahead? Yeah. Yeah. And like, on, a, on a very basic level, it's like the, the practice too is like letting go of the fear. Because I think like the fear can be, is, is really like in all of those other things. Yeah. You know? So again, okay, the fear arises, fear is acceptable. And now I can let the fear go and trust again. Yeah. And it reminds you saying that reminds me of Ama Mata Amritananda, my ma, the hugging saint. She says, There's only two energies in the universe love and fear. Love and fear. Love and fear. Yeah. And the love, as kind of was talking about before, I think the love can even pervade the fear. And this is so important, right? Like, okay, it's normal. It's to be afraid. This is, this is a crazy situation. <laughs> that we were all born into, you know, existing on this planet, you know, hurling through space and nature can come in and, and death can just like, like that, that's the reality of the situation. So, and running away from the truth doesn't seem to serve. So I want to embrace it and do what I can uh, with the truth. You know, I, there's this theme, I think in this conversation that, keeps coming up is compassion for ourselves. 
Jones. And Jack Cornfield, the meditation teacher, says, compassion, if we don't have compassion for ourselves, is not true compassion. So I think we, we must be compassionate for ourselves that we're going to get really, really stuck at times. We're going to get really lost in our own minds and our own illusions and delusions. We're going to get, you know, it's just part of the human experience. That's why we're here. And I think that's why Ramdas he's always said, you can't get phony holy. You're human. Try practicing, practice being human. Allow yourself to be human. So I love the, these, this teaching, like honor your humanness and honor your divinity as well, too, that they both have to be, they both have to coexist at the same time. And we're going to, you know, make a lot of less than optimal choices that come from our very human place in our lives inside of us. And, and we have to learn how to be compassionate with ourselves and, and forgiving with ourselves. I think that's a big one too. What, what he says that I just love so much, never heard someone say this before is, you know, can I hold two things in my hands at the same time? Right. Can I look up and I kind of look down? So, you know, both experiences, one of having deep compassion for myself that this experience is really confusing and tricky and difficult in a lot of ways. And it's also miraculous and fun and amazing and so beautiful, right? Both of these things seem appropriate and true. And can they both be true? I don't see why not. I agree. I agree. One foot in the world and one foot in spirit. Yeah. And we have to walk with both at the same time. Yeah. And I, I try to check myself a lot, you know, like, oh, am I not like, I want to feel well balanced, right? Yeah. Like how much time am I spending looking up and how much time am I spending looking down? And I, I know that I, I have like a, a tendency to um, not want to look at the horror of the world. A lot of times I, I want to avoid it because it's so hard to, to look and see that, but that I do feel that it is appropriate to spend some time there. Right. Like, I don't want to be there all the time either, but some of the time to look and see that. And that, that, that in a way motivates me, I think too, potentially. Yeah. I can see how that would motivate it. It motivates our motivates us to live, you know, with that higher purpose and do really engage ourselves. Yeah, this is a this is a wild dance we're we're in. <laughs> sure is. Well, it, it's truly a blessing to come in contact with someone like you. Um, I really I had unbelievable experiences during the sessions with you when you were here. Um, so thank you. And I, I just know that all of that is a, a result. It's a ripple effect of the inner work that you're doing with yourself. There's no doubt in my mind 
uh, of that. So thank you for doing that work. Mm. Thank you, brother. I feel very, very much the same with yourself. I really appreciate you and everything that you're doing and, and everything at Yogaville and Integral Yoga and Swami Satchidananda. And it's a uh, very, very close to my heart. Yeah. Uh, well, I hope to see you again soon. If people are interested in um, connecting with you more, or know if you, are you offering anything coming up? Um, just anything that people might want to know about if if they're wanting more Govindas. Yeah, well, we got some great things coming up this uh, fall, November over Thanksgiving. I'm going to be leading an India retreat. Every year, I take a group of people on a basically a bhakti based India retreat where we visit temples and sing Kirtan and be with mother Ganga and go visit Vrindavan, the land of Radha and Krishna and uh, meet great saints and holy beings. And it's really, really special. So if anybody's interested, you can go to our website, which is Bhakti Yoga Shala. Um, bhaktiyogashala.com and we got I'm going to be doing uh, I live in outside of Los Angeles we do a lot of events here regularly weekly I'm going to be doing a Northern California tour Kirtan tour coming up in August and we're going to make a stop at Integral Yoga Ashram up there in San Francisco and also we'll be at Bhakti Fest in uh, September 15th through 18th. And God bless all these people. Bhakti Fest is a festival yeah. in, in Joshua Tree, California. Joshua Tree, okay. Yeah. It's a fabulous festival. Four days of just so much music, kirtan, meditation, workshops. Very, very special. Yeah, we didn't even really get into kirtan uh, during this conversation. We were thinking about adding the the music piece into this, but uh, how about if people want to hear some of your kirtan? Yeah. Just go to Spotify, type in Govindas and lots will come up. Uh, I got a new Hanuman Chalisa album coming out of 11 different versions of the Hanuman Chalisa that will be out in September. And uh, hopefully I'll be at Yogaville again in the fall sometime yeah. late November, possibly. So that would be wonderful and always good things happen. So I'd love to meet any and all of you, however we can. Thank you so much, my friend. Really appreciate you. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate this time too. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.